I'm not the smartest, I'm not the funniest, but I will out volume the hell out of you. Monetization requires trust. So a great example of that is four years ago, the Game Changers documentary came out. I basically put everything I was doing on the back burner to do this big, long debunk. Joe Rogan talked about it. So that is my hack. Welcome back to another episode of She's Taking Over the Podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by Lane Norton today. He is the founder of BioLane and Carbon, the Smart Diet Nutrition app. And as a bodybuilder, a power lifter, an educator in this space, I really feel that everybody would know who Lane Norton is. So thank you so much, Lane, for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jenna. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad that we finally managed to catch up. I know you've been very busy. What have you been working on on your side? What's happening with you? Yeah, I'm a little tough to wrangle. Um, <laughs> uh, just doing a lot of this, a lot of content work. You know, um, my big goal uh, this past year was to get Physique Coaching Academy launched, which I was able to do, uh, which is my uh, coaching mentorship program uh, with Dr. Bill Campbell. And uh, that's been going really well, getting a lot of really great feedback with that. And, uh, I mean, basically just wanted to kind of, there's so many online coaches out there and there's really nothing like specific for online coaches that do mm -hmm. nutrition, resistance training, cardio, which is most of what most people do. And, yeah. uh, so we basically wanted to put together, like if we were going to condense down like a college level education in being an online coach or sorry, university, Australia is different university yeah. level education um how would we like what would we do and so that's basically what this is okay awesome so it's like a short course uh it's about eight months is what i would estimate i mean probably wow. six to 12 months to get through it just depending uh the textbook is about 650 pages and um we have hours and hours and hours of lecture so it is pretty like um intensive but it is that you know it's shorter than the college uh, shorter than a university degree yeah, that's amazing. Writing a textbook. Did you write that yourself? Uh, myself and Bill. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, I can't imagine how much time that would take. And I feel like written content these days created by coaches, it's so hard to trust as well because of all the tools that you can see available to people, <laughs> obviously like chat GPT and AI. And I just feel you can really spot people who don't know what they're talking about. So investing in education is so important because it's the way that it helps. I, I guess it's the way that coaches can coach naturally is when they actually know what they're doing, right? So who are you, who's your market for that? Would they be beginner coaches or people getting started or coaches just looking to really advance their career? Uh, ideally, um, I, I think probably beginners might not be it. Like you, there would be, we require right now for people to either have some kind of personal training certification or to have some four-year degree in a, rel a relevant scientific field in order to attend, yeah. because I do think it'd be kind of dense for people who are, you know, haven't taken any of that stuff to, to get through. Um, so I think our target audience is really like that, that niche of, you know, coaches who want to be like some of the best to be regarded as authorities in this space but don't want to go back or maybe don't have the capability to go back and get a university bachelor's or a PhD, something like that. So, um, yeah, we spend a lot of time really focusing on like the latest research. Uh, we even go through like in our mentorship classes, we go through, um, like research papers and kind of wow. like, like Bill does that really well. Um, yeah. just kind of like trying to keep everybody like on the latest cutting edge stuff. Um, and so it's been great. Uh, feedback's been really good with students. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just getting started. I think it's going to, it's going to grow into something really um, fantastic. And for me, I, you know, I think about uh, my 20 years in coaching and um, like how, you know, when I'm coaching one person, I can only reach one person or, you know, the most I could ever coach at one time. I think when I was just doing coaching, I think that most I ever have was like a hundred clients at one time. And that was all yeah. encompassing. I mean, I worked every day, you know, very long hours and um now when I think about like, how could I reach more than just a hundred people at a time? Well, if I can train the next generation of coaches to be better coaches, help more people. And then those people go on and help people. Then hopefully it's like that spider web effect, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love that ethos, helping people help people. And 
it's definitely something that I really aspire to do as well. And so this is, is this a separate business venture for you now? Because you've got BioLane, you've got Carbon, and now this is, is it like kind of like an education company or course essentially? Yeah, uh, it is a separate entity, but it's in part owned by BioLane. So it, you know, kind of was, it was financed. A lot of it was, or a lot of it was um, created with BioLane stuff. So um, you know, Bill owns uh, a percentage of it, and then my company owns a certain percentage of it. But um, yeah, okay, it's a whole, it's an old separate entity. And so, curious, how do you structure? What's a normal day look like for you with running these different sorts of businesses, but not different sorts as such? But you've got multiple projects going on. So, how do you structure a day? Yeah, so I think I have to give a big shout out to my team. Um, I've, I've got. Across the different businesses, there's probably, um, you know, 30-ish uh, people who are contributing in some way, whether it's full-time employees, contractors, or part-time employees. Um, <clears throat> and really what that's done is freed up my time to do the things I'm good at and focus on those things, which at this point, kind of what I see myself being good at is this, you know, doing uh, mm -hmm. podcasts, uh, doing educational videos. Um, doing written content, uh, social media content and, uh, reading research papers. So that's most of what I do. I mean, I would say I get up if, um, if it's a week, I've got the kids, I'll drive them to school. Um, then when I get back, I'm usually answering a few emails. I'll usually do like one podcast or call in the morning, um, <clears throat> with either my team, you know, with, uh, the calls would be like either my team or, you know, somebody who might be interested in partnering with us in some way or, you know, some sort of business call. Um, then I'll spend time putting together content. Um, I'll maybe read a research paper or two, um, just kind of like odds and ends answering, you know, random emails here and there. And then also what I'm doing right now, which is uh, currently trying to get my cats to stop causing chaos in the corner <laughs> over here. So how many um, cats do you have now? I have three cats. Um, oh my goodness. Never thought I'd be a cat guy, but, um, they're, they're, <laughs> they're easier to maintain than dogs. And with as much as I travel, it's hard to have a dog. So, um, but I'll do yeah, that. And then I'll, tra I'll train usually like I'll, I'll do that for a few, I'll do all that stuff for a few hours. And usually I'll train in like the early afternoon, uh, pick my kids up and then I'll, uh, I'll spend the rest of the day usually being dad, making dinner, that kind of stuff. And then I'll do a, once they go to bed, I'll do like maybe another like 15, 30 minutes of just random social media stuff. Uh, on weeks I don't have them, I usually work much later. So this is a week I don't have my kids. So I'm, you know, I'm, this is, it's uh, 5 p.m. Florida time as we're doing this. And then I've got another call after this with Physique Coaching Academy, actually with our students. So yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll usually work a little bit later on those weeks. But for the most part, it's doing a lot of the same stuff. Amazing. So you really do push a lot into a day because picking the kids up, that would be in the afternoon after you've worked through all of your meetings, all of your content creation or podcasts and things like that. So they're big days and you're still managing to get your sessions in. And um, it's really interesting in, in hearing you talk about how you did what you've done. And one of the key drivers of your growth, it sounds like your team and being able to delegate and lead a team of people has been really pivotal for that. How did you learn the leadership skills that you have? How did you learn to manage and delegate a team? I'm still learning that stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know if I'm a great leader. Um, I'm trying to be one. Um, I think a lot of it is first off, I think the thing I struggle with most was letting go of control. I think, you know, you talk to anybody to scale a business, you have to put people in places where they can free up your time for you to do the stuff that you're good at. Otherwise you're just chasing your tail doing so many different tasks. Um, but it's really hard to, <clears throat> as somebody who did like literally everything for 10 years, the first 10 years of my business, um, it's hard to let go of that control because you're worried that nobody's going to do it like you'll do it or somebody's going to mess something up and then it's going to be, you know, at the end of the day, it is my name on the company, you know, so, um, and, and sometimes that does happen. And I think you've just got to realize that like, Hey, you, you are going to have to take ownership of when your people maybe make a mistake 
Uh, fortunately, I've got really good people, and there's usually very few mistakes. Uh, but I don't know if I'm a, a really great leader, to be honest. I think I've got really good people. I've been lucky enough to come across those, um, and and they really do a great job. I'm sorry, Jenna. Can we pause real quick? I need to spray yeah, my cat. Yeah, that's so disease. fine. We can pause it. <laughs> Three cats, that's a handful. <laughs> oh, are you there? Sorry. That's my that's okay, uh, little, run. That's my little terrorist right there. Just he's <laughs> taken all my research papers I had and just playing with them, spreading them out on the floor. So I've got a little <laughs> water thing. A spray bottle. I said I no. understand. I understand. You have a little zoo over there. <laughs> yeah. so um, okay, so let I'll pick it up. Where we'll I take it off. back to the team. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So honestly, like I think one of the, the biggest uh, things that's really helped me is uh, my personal assistant, Caroline. Um, she's really, really good, really, really organized. I think when you're thinking about people to add to a team, I, at first I made the mistake of trying to get people who are just like me you know, because it made sense to me. And um, what you find is all your deficits just end up getting enhanced. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I ended up doing that actually worked was I said, okay, where am I deficient? And for me, I am not an organized person. I am walking chaos. I am a hurricane. Now I'm really good at certain things like speaking, um, like being able to be creative, uh, translate difficult topics. I can do all that stuff, but when it comes to like spreadsheets and calendars and stuff, I'm terrible. So I hired people and put in place people who are highly organized, who I always say, if I'm a bowling ball, the people who work, who help me are my bumpers and they're going to keep me going down the lane in the right direction. So I can hit the pens rather than me getting, you know, falling off into the gutter. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's, that's really powerful. And I understand don't just align with a me too, the people who you think you get on with or the people who um, you bond really well with or can vibe really well with in that creative space isn't necessarily going to drive the business forward. And one of my big mistakes when I first got into this was I took people who were my, my personal friends and said, how do I create a job for them? That yeah. is not a good way to go about things. Now, I'm, I... I do believe you can be friends with somebody who works in your business. I, I do think you can do that. I think it's a difficult dynamic um, and it takes a lot of accountability and awareness on both people's parts. Um, but, you know, it's definitely don't just say, well, I like this person. I want to give them a job. If it makes sense and they're the best candidate that you have, then great. But if not, don't do it. I'm sorry, yeah. Chad. One more, one more time. One <laughs> That's fine. Chad, dude, I don't know how much more clear I got to be. It's okay, I also just got up to let my cat in. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. I also just got up to let my cat in, so I had I had I'm all just... my research I had all my research papers spread out on the floor. I was reading and Chad thinks they're they're playthings. Okay, we should be good now. <laughs> okay. Um, um I'll I'll pick it up where I left off. Okay. So I think, you know, that was one of the mistakes I made early was, you know, not paying enough attention to, to where are my deficits. And also what I found is so many people decided, you know, they wanted to come on to work for me and they would say things like, I want to do what you do. I want to be like you. And I had to find out the hard way, at least in my position, which now I kind of realize has morphed into being a social media kind of like influencer. There's, it's difficult to have multiple of those. Um, I'm not saying it can't be done, but in my experience, when I brought people in who wanted to basically become me, 
eventually they became resentful of me and it, it didn't always end badly. Um, but it usually ended with a lot of frustration, feeling like you put a lot of time into somebody. In fact, I got a, somebody applying for, or not applying, but said the other day, Oh, I want to be mentored by you, you know, do what you do, what work for you. And I said, thank you, but no, thank you. Um, you know, in my experience, that just hasn't worked out very well. So I'm not saying it can't work out in other businesses, but for me, it just hasn't worked out really well. So I look at, okay, instead of trying to do more of what I'm good at. So if I've got stuff I'm good at, let me take all this stuff that I'm not good at and fill in people in those gaps. And that seems to have worked really well. And now for the most part, I consider myself kind of semi-retired because uh, I pretty much only do the stuff that I like doing in business. I mean, with rare exceptions, I do have to do some stuff here and there that I don't like doing. But for the most part, I get to do the stuff I enjoy doing. And for me, that's pretty uh, semi-retired. Exactly what you just said is the goal of so many trainers in the industry. They want to elevate off the gym floor. They want to elevate out of the 100 clients that they're coaching. And there's just a block between how they actually do that. And you've done that. And hiring a team was a big part of that for you. But what other steps did you take to really excel your career from coaching? Obviously, education is a huge part. But how would you say you transform the business to get to the semi-retired at such a young age, essentially. Uh, I think the team is a big part of it. You can't, you know, one person can't build an empire, but I think um, also my answer is going to be very, very boring for most people. Uh, consistency. I mean, I think uh, I always tell people I'm not the strongest. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the funniest. I'm not the best at any one thing but I will out volume the hell out of you um, in terms of, and I'm just brutally consistent. I mean, you know, even when I've gone through really hard periods in life, you never saw me stop putting out content. It never stopped, you know, it kept going. Um, and so I think that that has been, you know, the big differentiator for me. And when it comes to like scaling, I think, you know, Things are changing so fast. It's really hard to, to give generalized advice because in two years, something may come up in the online space technology and the game may completely flip, you know? Um, but in terms of like where we are now in this landscape of where I work in social media, you know, so many people complain about the Instagram algorithm or, you know, um, well, this, this is the content that goes viral and this and that. And there are some, I think a lot of people have this idea that they're going to do this one great post and it's just going to blow up and they're going to get a million followers and they're going to ride off into the sunset. And I mean, that does happen for some people. Some people do go viral. That does happen. But here's the thing about going viral. Typically it's with content that your audience you produce is not super monetizable. Because monetization requires trust. And if somebody, like if you put out a video that just, it, it just, for whatever reason, clicks. And, um, you know, something funny or something, you know, just the super viral content. People, a lot of people may end up following you. But do they trust you? They don't know you, right? And so I'll always tell people, hey, yeah, the algorithm may change. Um, but here's the thing. If you're paying attention to your insights, which by the way, for all their faults, Instagram and Facebook give you a ton of data. I can go to my insights right now, say, show me the post from the last two years and show me which post got me the most follows. And it becomes immediately apparent what kind of posts for me do really well for getting new follows. And so I, I feel like um, when it comes to scaling, I look at Instagram or social media as kind of like the top of the funnel if I get more people in the funnel and then can expose them to the things I sell, that is going to be better for the businesses. But the way to get them in the funnel is to get more people in the funnel and get them to follow me. And the way to do that is consistently put out good content that people are interested in. And if I had a hack, as it were, for people in my space, it's um, the closest you can get to something that's, I would say, viral in terms of evidence-based content is if there's something that's very popular being talked about a lot on social and you hit it 
at the time where a lot of people are talking about it, that is going to get a lot of attention. So a great example of that is four years ago, the Game Changers documentary came out and it was huge. A lot of people were talking about it. And I basically put everything I was doing on the back burner to do this big, long debunk of this documentary. And it kind of went semi-viral um, in terms of views. Joe Rogan talked about it, you know, so that is my hack. And that's one of the reasons also I don't pre-plan my content way, way out. I know a lot of people like to do that. I know it's a big strategy and I understand that. Um, I have an idea of what I want to do each day. Like for example, Monday, I typically do a meme. Tuesday, I'll do like a reel of, from one of my podcasts. Wednesday, I'll do an educational video and so on and so forth. But the actual content that I'm talking about, I tend to keep pretty malleable because if something bubbles up, I want to be able to touch it really fast. So that's kind of my long-winded answer to that question. No, that's a great answer. It's a, and I agree with not planning content out too fast because part of it is being reactive to trends. But I want to take it back to consistency. When I asked how you are so successful, what is the number one tip for people who want to elevate out of coaching and build a business? You said consistency. And then even in talking about content, it's about consistency. And I think hard work beats talent every single time. You can outwork the most talented people in the room just by being super consistent. And in hearing about your day and the way that you structure your day, you have a lot of focus about you and a lot of um, the, the ability to sit and work through hard periods of time and to be so consistent every day, even when you've gone through periods of time in your life that have been shitty, essentially. How do you stay focused in periods of deep working? This is like a little bit of a spanner in the works, but it pops into my head. But do you have, what do you have any thoughts on mushroom powders or any, do you take, are you taking anything to help you focus? How do you structure your nutrition around that? So I have ADHD, which means in some ways I can hyper-focus, but in other ways I'm easily distractible. Um, I was medicated from when I was a kid until uh, like age 23 or four. Uh, and then I went off and more recently I've actually gone back on medication because when I was just coaching and doing content, I felt like I could manage it all. And now that there's four different businesses, you know, 30 ish employees, um, just a lot of, and I'm a dad, there's a lot of different ways I'm getting pulled constantly. I mean, I think I went back and looked at like the number of people I regularly communicate with on a regular basis. And it's like 30 to 40 people on a daily basis between uh, the kids, nannies, teachers, my son's therapists. Um, my son is uh, ASD. So he gets a lot of therapy, um, you know, employees, business partners, you know, people coming to my, my realtor or, or uh, people coming to fix stuff at the house, all that kind of stuff. Like it's just so many people I communicate with on a regular basis. I could be in one thing. And then the way my ADHD works is if I'm like, let's say I'll open up my phone to, uh, I'm going to pull up a spreadsheet and fill some stuff in. And then I get a text message. I'm going to click that text message. And now I'm going to follow that rabbit hole. And then maybe I get another text message and I follow that rabbit hole. And pretty soon I've forgotten why I even opened up my phone in the first place. Right? So I have started to use uh, medication and um, that has, I have, I have found uh, my friend John Deloney has the best description of ADHD. He's like, imagine you're in a room and there's a hundred TVs turned up all the way. And what medication does is it turns down the volume on some of the other TVs so you can hear the one, but the other ones are still on, but you can at least hear one of them. Um, and that's a good description. Like I'll find myself wandering and then I can bring myself back. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I do is I always tell people, a lot of people can be really hard workers for periods of time. I have seen this with so many people. The average lifespan in the fitness industry is less than two years. It chews people up and spits them out. And so many people I see, they come in and it's like binge and purge with work. Um, they come in, they go super hard, you know, grind, grind, grind. And then after a couple months, now I need two weeks off because I'm so stressed out, you know? And I always tell people, I'm just over here like the tortoise. I'm, I'm running the marathon. Like I don't work 12 hour days. I work eight, maybe nine hours on my best day. Most days mm -hmm. it's more like 
six or eight. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm making good use of that time, and I'm very consistent with that time. And I don't feel like I need a lot of vacations and a lot of breaks. And so you know, other people will sprint out in front of me, and I'm just back here, you know, running the marathon. And as soon as they get tired, I'm going to pass them. You know, so I I I'm also like really. Um, I think I do a pretty good job of balancing pushing myself with also being like empathetic towards myself. Whereas like if it has been a rough day or something like that and I need to deplug, I need to play like a video game or I want to just sit out and have a beer and watch the sunset or something like that. Like I allow myself that stuff because I know like this isn't me being lazy. I'm just resetting so I can go back um, and get after it when the time is called. And I think a lot of people, they kind of shame themselves where if they're not working, they feel like they're doing the wrong thing. And yes. it just, they, they, everybody has a breaking point. You're going to get to the point where you hit that breaking point. Like I said, you're going to like take a week or two weeks or three weeks off. And now when you come back, you know, you're further behind than if you had just like taken, you know, little breaks here and there. And so I think I'm, I'm good at like giving myself rest when I need it. That is powerful for everybody listening. Consistency, again, is the theme here. And I know so many coaches, working with so many coaches in our business who they're getting started, they're doing all the hours, they're doing 30, 50 sessions a week in the gym, and then they want to grow online, they want to learn how to run a business. So they're pushing themselves through these 12-hour days, and I feel, or 14 or 16-hour days, and burnout is the killer of creativity. And I also do feel... And obviously this will come with a grain of salt, but if you have to work so freaking hard every single day, something's not working for you in a way. You either haven't nailed the results, you haven't been able to elevate from the the kind of business that you're running because things aren't working. So it's about learning to then delegate and elevate in business. And you've really done that. And, And I'm seeing synergies here as well in terms of how you work and how you run a business, but also in your brand. So Um, You just said you're really good with extremes sometimes. And that's obvious because of your professional bodybuilding career and obviously the way that you are also a powerlifter and and the way that you can go 100 miles or or push yourself to absolute extremes. Your brand has actually evolved quite a bit too. People definitely see you now as an entrepreneur and that word is not to be used lightly in this space. You're definitely an entrepreneur in the fitness industry and a leader and a manager um, and a figurehead in the space. But before then, you were a bodybuilder and a powerlifter. How did you, do you think your brand changed as you grew or did you make um, specific choices around actually changing your brand in the market that you were in? Good question. I think this is, I think it was a little bit of a few things happening at once. I wouldn't say that it was like I had this epiphany where I was like, oh, I'm going to move away from just bodybuilding and powerlifting content to, you know, more like mainstream stuff. But I kind of saw, I think I've always kind of spoken about topics that people ask me about a lot. I I always tell people like, it is not hard. People will say, where do you find all these videos that you debunk? I go, I don't find any of them. People send them to me. Like it's, it's, it's actually not difficult. You just ask your audience what they want to hear about. Um, and I always tell people like your audience will tell you what they want to hear about. Um, and I, I think I've done a good job at listening. And so as my audience grew to more and more, like not just competitors, but everyday folks who had questions that everyday folks have about nutrition, my content started to shift as I started answering those questions. And so, you know, I think I'm super grateful. I had the background, you know, doing bodybuilding and I still do powerlifting. I still compete in powerlifting. Super grateful I had that, taught me a lot. Um, And it gave me a a really nice starting niche to grow from. And I think that without it, I would not have had – the same experiences that gave me the the coaching wherewithal and it allowed me to kind of grow at a pace that was manageable because if I had just, I always say this, um, if I had just blown up overnight, I would not have known how to handle it. And um, that goes for like finances. 
and for like popularity. Like I would have not known how to handle it. Um, but it has been a slow progression. And I think that's helped me um, kind of adapt to it a little bit better because there's still some times where like, you know, I went and did uh, Tom Segura's podcast last week. Who's one of the like top comedians in the game right now. And we got a lift, we got a lift in before the podcast. And there's still times where I go, this is weird. You know, <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's been kind of a slow, gradual progression. And so it's allowed me to adapt, you know, kind of like you would if you're lifting weights. Like if you go in and you try to, you know, squat 300 kilos, the first, you know, the first few months you're lifting, you're going to tear something, you know, but, uh, and even if you like, let's say, I mean, here's the problem, like uh, a great example is like, let's say you took steroids. So this, and you blow up, right. Your muscles are strong enough to do the weight, but you're going to tear something because the rest of your body is not adapted to that level of stress. And so um, in the same way, if you slowly adapt over time, you're much less likely to get injured. And I think, you know, I've slowly adapted to kind of where I am today rather than there just being one big turning point or, or, or one big thing that happened. And I'm actually really grateful for that. Yeah, it's progressive overload of building a business, building a brand. We've had personal chats, you know, and you would say that in school you didn't feel like you were the coolest kid or and now all of a sudden essentially it's not all of a sudden either, right? And people look at you as their icon and I'm so blessed to be working with so many coaches who are passionate about helping people change their lives, it's helping others help others, which is what I love to do. And it's so frustrating for me because I just want to be like just settle down for a minute and walk before you run and I know that they understand the principles and the concepts of progressive overload and I always say building a brand is like building a muscle repetition frequency and specificity you've got to know your market you've got to hit them frequently and you've got to continue to drive that same message and personality home in order to really build a business and so um, essentially you've done it and I love the way that the health and fitness analogies carry over to business and to life as well, because oh, yeah. everybody wishes, yeah, everybody wishes to success, but when you get it, if you haven't worked for it or don't know what to do with it. And also I, yes, there are overnight successes, but I don't really believe that there are, you know, I don't really believe it's, anybody just gets there. It's rare. And here's, here's the thing. You don't want to be an overnight success because you, you will not know how to handle it. Um, if you look at like, let's just take an extreme example of lottery winners. So the statistics on lottery winners are that 80% of them are broke within five to 10 years of winning the lottery. Why? Because one, they didn't learn anything. They just kind of got lucky. And by the way, if you're an overnight success, you got lucky. Okay. You may have a good idea for a business, whatever. Tons of people have great ideas that never work in a business. Trust me, if it all took to have a good business was a great idea, everybody would have them, okay? Ideas are like, don't get me started on why I don't listen to people when they tell me I got, they've got a great idea. I'm like, you can take that idea and you can wipe your butt with it because unless you have the ability to execute the idea, it's pretty worthless, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm, and again, there are people who go and they have great ideas and they execute them. But if you look at something like, let's take Amazon, right? You know, one of the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos. Go look at the picture of Amazon, of him in his like office, office in 1996 with a little literal sheet of paper with handwritten letters saying amazon.com. Okay. He didn't blow up either, not overnight either. Okay. But it takes a long time to get the snowball formed. But once the snowball is formed and you get it rolling, it gets easier and easier if you're doing it correctly. And so I think so many people, you know, we're in an age where, you know, I can, um, I can pull up my phone and I can have whatever I want, whatever information I want. I can order food. I can do it in seconds. But th all this other stuff takes time. And I think so many people... There's so much messaging amongst, and I think the easiest thing to fake in the world is being an entrepreneur and being a business coach. I think there's yeah. nothing easier to fake than those two things. Um, and so people get this messaging like 
scale 10 times in six months or, you know, this, you know, like all this stuff. And it's like, that's like saying, uh, drink lemon water and lose 50 pounds of fat. Uh, Good luck. You know, you, you go ahead. I'm going to talk to real business people who have done this stuff, listen to what they have to say. And usually they say the same things, which is you got to be, um, consistent. You got to work hard. Good ideas are important, but execution is way more important. And don't bother. I I love this quote from Mark Zuckerberg. Somebody asked him what mistakes entrepreneurs should avoid making. And he said, don't even bother trying. Just be ready to learn quickly when you do make them. And I think so many people, I give an entire speech about this. Perfectionism and paralysis by analysis have killed more dreams than failure ever could. Okay. You're going to fail. You're going to screw some stuff up, but you are, if you are aware, you're going to learn from it and then you can get better. So if I had to list out the number of things I've failed at and screwed up, God, we'd be here for eight hours. So the biggest thing is just to learn from those and you can refine it and get better and and that's okay. But I think so many people think, well, I'm just going to start this business and it's going to go great. And I'm, Honestly, the worst thing that could happen for you in business is you start it and it goes great right off the bat because then there's a cliff coming. I can promise you. So I would say, understand that also there are seasons to this stuff. And, you know, all these people, they want the, they want the, I want to work on the beach from my laptop four hours a week and make six figures. Good luck with that. Okay. You know, that that's kind of like the dream that gets sold. Reality is much different. Now, there have been seasons of life. I talk now how I don't work for more than six or eight hours a day usually. But there were seasons of life where I was working a lot more than that. Um, but now my priorities have shifted. I have, you know, I have two kids. Um, I want to be able to train. I want my time to train, all that kind of stuff. So understand that, like, you can't prioritize everything at once. And so if you're in a build phase, if you're in a growth season, maybe you're not going out, okay? Maybe you're not having a big social life. That's okay. When I was in grad school and started my business, I didn't really go out on weekends and that was fine, you know? But over the course of your life, you should try to have some semblance of balance, meaning family, work, um, friends, experiences, travel, But at any one cross-section of your life, you're going to be unbalanced. And I think too many people think that they should be able to prioritize everything at once. And I just don't even worry about that. Yeah, there are definitely strong parallels here in terms of, um, you know, life, business and fitness. And there's so many people who start a 12-week transformation and they clear their schedule for 12 weeks and think they're going to go all in and just eat that cake on the Sunday night because Monday the diet is coming and they do the same thing with a business and they come and they say to me, I want to start this app or I'm going to have a $40 a month subscription. And I'm like, who's going to buy it? You don't even have people asking you to coach you yet. But every business coach on the internet or a lot of the ones that I see are pushing low ticket, pacify your income, time freedoms. And I'm like, if I was, yeah, go for it. I was going to let me go. You go ahead and finish, but I'm going to touch on passive income. If I was truly free. So I had to really think about what my purpose is. Why do I do what I do? I love helping people help people. If I was truly free tomorrow, if I made all the money that I could not know how to spend and had nothing else to do, I would wake up and I would work. Because I would then go, what's the next thing that I can do to fulfill? Like, you know, you said something earlier when you um, you, you feel like you've retired because you're not working anymore. And that's when you know that you've tapped into what you love and you're a genuine person. Anybody who is, or you have authenticity and integrity in business, anybody who is chasing money from a business, I believe will fall because pa- um, passion turns into profit. And I really do believe that in the coaching space, if you are working with clients, you have to care about helping them. And I think people who are just pushing for passive income and making money, they don't actually understand how to make money. That's the first, when people come to me and say, I want to make passive income, I say, you don't know how that works because you'd be working with a financial advisor and you would be investing. And I'm here to tell you that you have to work. Yep. 
There is no such thing as passive income. It doesn't exist, kitties. There's scalable income, meaning if I'm doing one-on-one coaching, if I want to make double the money, I've got to do double the time. There's, there's no real way around that. But like with my app, Carbon, um, they're scalable, meaning now if I put in double the time, I get 20 times the revenue as opposed to one time the revenue. Like that's scalable. Um, but this idea that you're just going to like do this thing, work a little bit, press play, and it just goes forever. Yeah, good luck with that. You let me know how that it's works just- out for you. It's just less active income to a degree, but they're not the kind of people I want to work with. And I'm really, I also do have a bit of a, I'm definitely not wanting to be called a business coach. It's more of a consulting or a strategy, but it's also like you see coaches who get a great result themselves. They're people, they work with a coach, they lose some weight or they step on stage and then they get qualified and then they run a program that says train like me. And I'm like, you haven't actually displayed that you have the skill set to work across multiple challenges, aka clients, to then call yourself an expert. And that is another thing when you see business coaches and they're pushing seven figure this or eight figure that. I'm like, but when when did you do it? Or how many times? (laughs) You can can do it once, right, with your own business, but it doesn't mean that you can teach other people how to do it. But that is a whole exactly. rabbit hole that I definitely, oh, anyway. But coming back to the seasons, I love that you say that because I definitely feel like I was just in harvest season or build season. I was just going through a period of time, last sort of six months where I was absolutely grinding and doing massive days. And consistency is so important. I still get people on Instagram asking me about training and nutrition and how I you know, maintain a shape or a physique. And I still chip away at training four times a week, but I went through a period of time where even that fourth session was starting to feel like a struggle in so many ways. Training is therapeutic for me, but when speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs or founders or business owners, training is something that slips for them because Mm -hmm. the, you know, you, when you start out as a coach, you want to be shredded. You want to have a six pack. You want to look like a bodybuilder all year round. But then when you really learn that you're in the trenches working, training slips so how do you navigate your own personal health i guess relationships and training as well when you're so busy and doing what you're doing sorry kitty in the way uh uh, he was just sitting in my net lap nice and quiet and then decided he wanted my headphones uh how do i navigate training with all the business stuff i do so training for me has always been a non-negotiable you would not want to be around me as a human being if i couldn't train hard Um, I always say when I can train hard, um, life feels lighter, uh, or easier. I think, um, for me, when I was doing kind of everything myself, it was a matter of, I'm going to have to trade something out. Right. So, um, like I love to go fishing. I love to uh, play video games and I love to, uh, do uh, competition pistol shooting. And I haven't done those things hardly at all the last, the last few years. Um, I love to do those things, but I also train typically two hours a day. That's a, that's a large portion of my day. Now I don't train every single day. It's like five days a week, but um, that's 10 hours out of the week. That's a lot of the work week. So for me, I kind of had to make a decision. All right. If I want to do, you know, if I want to spend time with my kids and I want to build these businesses, then I'm probably not doing some of those other things, at least in this season. Now, when I get to say 50 years old or whatever, maybe the income is scaled to the point where I'm only working, you know, two, three hours a day and I can go do those other things. And that's okay. Like, again, that'll be a different season of life. But, um, you know, right now training is a very big priority for me because it's, as far as things, I, I wouldn't even call it a hobby. Um, there is not, there is few things in my life other than my kids and my family that are more important to me than being able to go in and train hard. And I'm not putting a judgment on people that don't feel that way. That's totally fine. I can tell you when I go in for a big squash squat session, I am just as nervous and excited now probably more now than even five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I still 
have a burning passion and desire to train hard. And that wouldn't change if you told me I could never hit another PR or I could never gain another ounce of muscle. Uh, I would still love to do it. And so I think there's not a whole lot of people that find something like that for them. And uh, for me, it's just a complete non-negotiable. So that's what it's, it's I always tell people it's, it's easy for me really, because it's kind of like breathing. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, I'll, I'll just start phasing other things out before I get to training. I can relate to that. I get asked that too, especially a lot of the girls in the bodybuilding world that have since stopped competing the last couple of years. And they're saying to me, why are you still lifting so heavy? What are you training for? I'm like, life. Literally, you want to have a strong body. I wanted to ask you about biohacking today, but I know that we're sort of approaching the end of our, our time. But one thing that I feel is, you know, I went through a period of time where I was trying so hard to work with the most focus and do all the things like journaling, meditating, mushroom powders, blah, 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 whole foods and all the rest, which is obviously has its place. But as soon as I just relaxed with that and just stayed true to, I know training makes me feel good. I know going to bed and waking up at the same time makes me feel good. I love, I'm a numbers person. And it reminded me of when I was at uni, the reason that I started strength training in the first place was because it was instant gratification for me. So I was doing a degree that at, at one point I didn't love it. I didn't love it. I didn't love doing economics or business statistics and all the rest. And I couldn't see the end in sight when you're 20 or 17. I was 17 when I started uni. And you know, you've got a four and a half year journey ahead of you. That feels like a lifetime. And training was the one thing for me that I could feel that I was progressing and getting better at every single week. And it was learning to love it. So when people say that they're just not training, I'm like, that's because you don't want to. How many other things are you making time for that you want to do, like playing video games or watching Netflix, right? So it's just about prioritizing um, prioritizing what feels good. But when you prioritize training, I feel like everything else starts moving in the right direction because obviously it's good for you, right? On so many levels. Yeah. I mean, I just was on Andy Frisella's podcast, the CEO of First Form. And uh, I was talking about how, you know, doing hard, like training taught me how to do so many hard things because I ran up against so many setbacks or um, injuries or things I had to work through that were really hard. Um, but I saw the, the difference consistency made, um, that being resilient made, and I was able to apply that in other aspects of my life. And David Goggins talks about this. He said, um, I'm not out here running at 5 a.m. Uh, so that I can be the best runner in the world. Yeah, I want, I want to be the best I can be, but I'm out here doing this so that when I get a call at 4 a.m. saying, um, you know, something tragic happened. I don't fall to pieces. I don't just like fall apart because I'm used to managing this. And I did, I did find, um, I mean, I'm somebody I've discovered, uh, I never thought I was an anxious person. Turns out I'm actually a pretty anxious person. <laughs> um, but I, I think one of the things that lifting helped me do was even though I would have anxiety, get triggered, uh, feel overwhelmed. I never made rash decisions in those moments um, because I felt like I had enough experience where I'd work through hard things that I, I think a lot of people make big decisions at the height, at like the height of emotions and frustration when really you should be making decisions. Absolutely. Not when you're triggered. Absolutely. Not when you're anxious because when you're anxious, my friend John Deloney says, that's like the alarm is going off. And a lot of people just try to turn off the alarm rather than figuring out why, like what is the root cause of this? Mm. Um, because it's not that you, like anxiety is actually a good thing. It's, it's, it's you telling, it's your body telling you that you're not safe and you got to figure out why you, why you feel unsafe. Uh, and sometimes it's not a real threat, you know? And so I think being able to step back and even in the most, cause I know in training, there'd be so many times where I, you know, like regress with an injury or, um, you know, be really frustrated in training where it wasn't going well and feeling like having the frustration and feeling of, man, I want to quit in this moment, but understanding that I love to train overall and this moment will pass. Now, if I feel like that, 
you know, months down the road, maybe this is no longer a passion for me or no longer important to me. And now it's just a redirect. It's not quitting. It's a redirect, but I'm not going to make that decision when I'm super frustrated. I think having the experience in training helped me with that and helped me in business and helped me in life. Yeah, it's that carryover, the carryover benefits or carryover effect, I guess, with training into the character traits, which I believe run a business. In so, in so many ways, I think that what I learned in bodybuilding and also obviously you learn some of those traits through life growing up. Like I had a very sort of strict upbringing. My dad was very strict and I, he was very um, meticulous with certain things. And that was when I learned to really enjoy structure and bodybuilding and then of course, that organization and that structure gave gave a leg up in terms of business and, and discipline in life. It's, it, and it comes back to the consistency across all things. Absolutely. And I think um, I put up something yesterday. I said, you know, if you can, if you can, and I'm, I'm not saying I do all these things well, but if you can learn to control your impulses, control your emotions, control your inner thoughts, you know, what you give space to in terms of your thoughts, because we all have... I have the same negative, stupid, shameful thoughts that everyone else has, but I tend to not stew in them very long and try not to give them much attention. And I always go back to what do I know to be true? And um, I think that's helped me a lot, but yeah, just, I mean, I guess if we had to sum up the podcast in one word, it'd be consistency. Like that's a, you know, don't just outwork, outlast. You know, that's if you're if you're really good at what you do and you do it for 20 years, it's probably going to work out all right for you. Yeah, what a great theme, consistency. Just keep going, keep keep going, and keep working. Lane, thank you so much for coming on today. It was such a pleasure to have you and to talk to you. I feel like we could have spoken for hours. There's so many, um, so many things to discuss. But thank you so much for your time. And where can people find you and the course that you have been working on if they want to learn from you? Yeah, so uh, you can find everything on my website, biolane.com. That's kind of my hub. I'm biolane on all social media. And then my new coaching course is uh, you can just go to physiquecoachingacademy.com and uh, learn more about it there. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Jenna.